You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Sandy Nicol, Dr. Sandy, a teacher educator and researcher. In her PhD thesis, Sandy asked the question, how do pre-service teachers engage students in learning during professional experience in a process of narrative inquiry? The simple yet profound ideas and practicalities around student engagement continue to inform Sandy's enthusiastic and ongoing research and professional interest. In our conversation, we explore some of the struggles of teaching and the value of reflection before, during and after classroom experiences. Sandy shares insights and opinions on pedagogy, that is the art and science of teaching, and the importance of relationships, skills and strengths-based learner-centered approaches to learning and teaching. We also explore how research and theory might inform and be informed by practical, real-world experiences and applications. Sandy outlines the soon-to-launch The New Brew Podcast Project, featuring conversations by primary pre-service teachers for pre-service and other school teachers. Here's my conversation with Sandy Nicol. Thanks very much. It's good to see you, uh, Sandy. Thanks for joining me. Um, I thought we could start out by finding out more about who you are. Where have you come from? What have you studied? What what sort of, you know, who are you? Thanks. It's lovely. Um, thank you for inviting me, Mark. I really appreciate it. I've listened to a few of your podcasts. Um, I must admit, Joe. I really like Joe Ray. Um, I've known her from Macquarie. So before I even start, I'd just like to acknowledge where I actually am is in Dakin Young Country myself, and I wish to acknowledge um, the elders, um, both past, present and emerging. So for me, my journey, it's an interesting one. People tell me they want to hear it because it's so, it's yeah, it's an unusual journey um, I've had with teaching. I started as a nurse, so um, I failed my HSC, um, which is not uncommon for someone like me. <laughs> Um, it turns out I'm actually am bright. I just didn't realise I actually thought differently. So I didn't actually fit in the mould with teaching in the old-fashioned way. Um, so from there, I, everyone said to me, oh, you make a good nurse, Sandy. So I went, okay, I'll go and do nursing. So I did. Um, and I was the very first year to study um, at university for university for nursing. So that was a really hard time. In a, in a nutshell, I did oncology nursing. So I, um, my last role was pretty much helping people to pass away, to die of um, dominant cancer in their homes. Um, so it really shaped a lot of my ideas on life. But what I brought with it was an idea of inclusion into teaching. So before I even started studying as a teacher, I had an inclusion-oriented inclusion lens and I learned in my nursing, don't judge anyone. Mm. Don't. It's just not worth it um, because of what, what I saw and people do things for a reason, not the same one. So long story short, I studied at UTS Korean Guy um, undergrad. <clears throat> so I also had a car accident. So I had a back injury, so I wanted to get out of that physicalness of, of um, teaching, sorry, of nursing. Um, I got targeted at the end of my degree. What does targeted mean? Get <laughs> yeah. by, 
I was wondering, what, yeah, what is that? Legend. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, so you go for an interview with the Department of Education, which is public, um, and in that time they choose maybe one or two people from the university for your year who will get a job on the spot. Um, so I got a job on the spot. Um, so when I was graduating, it was a 10-year wait for a job on the spot. So it was a job. Um, and none of my friends got jobs. So I that was a bit awkward for me, knowing I had a job and they didn't. Um, but I got sent to Mount Druitt. Well, actually, I, I chose to. So they said to me, you can choose where you want to go. Me being me, I'm a bit of a risk taker. I said, I'll go for Mount Druitt. No worries. Off I go. So I and went so to what, Mount Druitt what were you, years. What were you teaching? Like what were you trained to teach? Um, yeah, so pri- sorry. Yeah, good point. Primary school teaching. So I, um, I like kids. So when I was trying to decide which area to go, because I have a science degree, um, oh, yeah, and okay. I understand quantitative. Oh, sorry, I was wondering. So, even though you said you failed your HSC, at some point you must have gone back and you know got up to speed with it. I'm assuming. No. Oh, okay. <coughs> Mature age so student. When I did, no, no, no. I went straight from high school, but you could. We didn't have to have passed our HSC to get into nursing. Ah, okay. So then that that was <laughs> you already gave us a little bit of information about that, but then you were able to enrol into yes. science and then like a particular area of science? Yeah, so it was called an um, applied science degree. Basically, I could get in because it was a very, very first year of the degree. They didn't know what they were doing with it. So they and pretty what, much let everyone in. And what were you doing? But like, so I technically I've got a, a, so I, I learnt nursing, so, but it was really interesting. So when we were being lectured, very similar to the teaching degree, which I, found, I find fascinating, so we had people who were experts in chemistry and biology who were professors in that, that field who had nothing to do with nursing. So they taught me all the science of all that stuff. So I went through all the, <clears throat> all the quantitative stuff big time um, and then I had a small amount of nurses teaching me how to put it in practice, which is very similar to the model that we use for teaching. Mm-hmm. So um, where I taught at one university, they, they employ around the world like global leaders in psychology, for example, or other areas and they teach that area but there's always someone that needs to be coupled with them to teach well how does that look like in the classroom so yeah so I have actually an undergrad um it was actually a diploma it's on degree of, of science <coughs> so, that, cold. so when so in, chemistry biology and all that stuff as well yeah in applied science how is that different to you know what on a practical level what we what sort of things were you exposed to in the when you were doing the study? Well, it's fascinating. So we had to look at things like how dolphins track. So nothing to do with nursing at all. It was all to do with science and learning how to use science um, tools and um, how to you collect data and how to, how to understand data and how, how to, things like validity and reliability, which come from um, like that, that quantitative, that scientific way of, of researching. So I was exposed to that as a pre-service, sorry, as a student nurse. But I never really liked the idea. It didn't make a connection to the real world. Yep. So it was like science lab type stuff. Yep. Um, and now way further down with my PhD, I can really understand why my PhD, I kept on pulling away from, because at the time I was doing my PhD, everyone wanted to do quantitative and everyone was saying, Sandy, why are you not doing quantitative? And I was going, well, I want to do both, but I more want to do it about experience because that's really what, so I could learn all about dolphins and how they send out all their radars and all their, their Doppler effects. I still remember the assignment. I can still see the assignment, which was on a piece of paper, with liquid paper everywhere because I made so many mistakes. Liquid paper? I remember <laughs> liquid paper. <laughs> That's going back yeah, a ways. You know. 
no comment, but yeah. <laughs> I know I don't look as old as I am, but I am pretty old. Um, yeah, so it gave me that insight because I could see the quantitative way of doing data collection. So quantitative is basically just measurement, like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, measuring things with instruments. Yep. Pretty much. So there's two things that you say with quantitative. You talk about the idea of reliability and the idea of validity. All right. So reliability, um, actually, I'll start with validity. So validity is the machine or the data that your instrument. All right. So I work with two research groups who they do the instrument part. So our study in China, um, so Kang and Chudi, they're quantitative researchers. So they have, they used a quantitative program and they type in all the data. So, yep. for example, we had 352 students, from, um, teachers from China. In the inclusion one with Stuart Woodcock, hang we on. had 182. <laughs> hang on. I know, so they're big numbers. I, I, I just need to stop you for a minute. Hang on. I, I'm getting a bit, a little bit bamboozled because, you, yes, I, I suspect you're talking about your more recent study, but we're, I'm am, still but looking. Yes. I was still interested in how you got out to Mount Druid Sorry. High, so I <laughs> yeah. figure you did some sort of training qualification or something to kind of patch it up. Sorry, patch yeah, up. I, I, I didn't. And then, yeah. so yeah. And then what happened? Like, how was how was Mount Druid High School? Or you know, how was okay? Primary. Primary, 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 primary. primary. <laughs> how, how, right, was, right. how was that? Uh, hard. Yeah, okay. What, what, how? In a nutshell, hard. Right. So, so remember I said to you I came with the inclusion lens. I came with the idea that, yeah, we, we, I've nursed people to their passing away. I worked at accident emergency at RPA where I saw the worst of the worst. I thought, yeah, I can teach year one. So six-year-olds, no problem. I cried the whole year. That was it was damn damn hard because of personalities and different social factors that were going on. So the the makeup for the school that I I never say the names of the schools wherever I no. teach. So I'd like to respect um, communities. Yeah, I loved it. So I want to say from day one or point one here is I would go back tomorrow and work there again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I've still got friends that work there at that school. Um, and so I turned up brand new school not even opened, not even in the street directory, couldn't even find it. 1,500 kids was the peak that we got up to. Um, I was given year one. And in terms of that, low SES, bottom 5% of what we call NAPLAN now. Back then it was the basic skills. So SES um, is 65. socioeconomic <coughs> status, yes? Yes, sorry. I get into my jargon. It's all right because um, it's because the listeners may not know that, you know, SES. I know, I know. Sorry, I know I should get my it's head right. around it, shouldn't I? So, so six, 65 different cultures there. English was not the first language, but they were great kids. They, they were fun, naughty, lots and lots were naughty, and that's where my passion came about learning how to engage the reluctant learner, which is really what has informed a lot of my ideas ever since because uh, I was given always the, the student that no one wanted to teach, um, I was given the, the students that caused a lot of grief for a lot of people, including students and teachers. Um, and I worked really hard at a relationship with them, took a lot of blows, a lot of, yeah, pretty bad stuff, chairs thrown at me, you name it, abuse, you name it. Um, From such young, young still, learners as well. Yeah, six-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty tough. Um, I, I want to also say to you that when I moved to the ride district, which is the opposite end, 
um, there were ch challenging kids there as well. So there was one little boy that um, in the ride district, he had problems with his emotional regulation um, and he would frequently climb onto the top of the two-storey building and throw things and peg things at us as teachers. So, so I would really like people to understand that I'm not saying this is a situation to do with that area, far from it. It's mm. actually about the individuals. Um, and where I, I still teach casually where I am now and um, I still I choose, I say yes to the hard-to-staff schools where people won't do casual teaching there. Um, because of my skill set. Um, but I, I will tell you now, my children went to a school in the North Shore. People are better, I mean, I think people will try and hide it more on the North Shore. So, um, and I think every school has behaviour issues. And I think every school has issues with reluctant learners, irrespective of your socio-economic um, background, your cultural background, whatever. I understand. Um, and, but the key factor, key factor is us, the teacher. Hmm. So, so, so um, then what, what happened then for you because you're kind of like out there, you know, you've experienced your nursing, you, you've gone back and done study at, at uh, university, then you're back out at a school or out at a school in it's what sounds like a like quite challenging, you know, situation. What, what, hap what emerged or what happened? You've, you've told us a little bit about engaging reluctant learners and challenging personalities and the rest, but how did, how did you emerge and you know what happened around that time for you i couldn't teach everything that was taught to me it was uni i found it didn't work so me being me i was going what the hell is going on why can't i do this why can't i do all these things i was taught at uni i'm going this is not working this is not working so i was taught whole language for example at university that's how you teach literacy i know it's greatly improved since then but in those days they told us just have the words around the room immerse the students we were not, I was not taught one lesson on how to explicitly teach reading or spelling or anything or writing when I was at uni. Um, so I remember going in the week term three crying to my principal saying, I can't teach these kids. I've got no idea. Everything I've tried that I was told at uni doesn't work. And she goes, oh, yeah, that's right, because uni doesn't work. Okay. So that's a bit, <clears throat> long story short. <laughs> a bit, uni doesn't work like it's, oh, yeah, no. that's the explanation. Pretty much, not really, no, no. So um, it's right. My PhD helped me understand it, and, and I, I, I say to people now, talk back to research. But long story short, so yeah, so I was um, offered to be asked to be um, acting assistant principal, acting principal, and all those things. I did all those things within my first five years of teaching. Loved it, but my kids came along, moved on. So I went to the right district, moved on, taught at a university, moved on, taught at another university, um, and did my PhD on learning to engage. Um, how pre-service teachers learn to engage students on prac because in the end that's the theme that I find that's carried through from day one because I'm a strong believer if we don't engage students and don't have a relationship with them first pretty much our whole class will fall off the apple cart um, and you know we know teachers leave the profession in, especially in the first five years of, um, of, of graduating and if we look at research um, and what you know different bodies tell us as a general rule, one is behaviour management. Two is they don't like all the paperwork that we're required to do with accreditation. And three is they don't like how leaders lead. Um, so I can't really do a lot except for I can help people to learn how we can engage better and engage the reluctant learner because I would like to help people to um, not be as stressed, early career teachers in particular, so that they can focus on their, learning their craft they can focus on staying in the profession for a long time. 
because it does worry me that we look at statistics that almost 60% are leave within the first five years of graduating. Mm-hmm. So I go, well, although four years of damn hard work, because it is hard to study at uni, and unis have come a long way since when I went, by the way, um, and there's a lot of good that do, unis do do. Uh, so please don't think I'm not at least, I'm bashing them because I'm not. I'm just saying for me. No, it's a complicated it system. Yeah, it's a complicated. And this is your learn, lived experience, you know, that this is what you as an individual yes. experience. certainly resonates with me being I feel like I'm a statistic. But, the, you know, I, I didn't realise it's kind of like a sweeping category of, you know, I, am, I too am a graduate that is... Uh, studied teaching and then didn't follow through after five years. But that's, you know, we're not here to talk about me. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. As long as you are happy with what you're doing and you're achieving what you want to do, that's why I say to people, don't worry if you're going to leave. Because um, you, you skill set of teachers, is, um, I think, we're the best profession globally. So, um, you know, and I just like to do my little bit in my little area to support people, to encourage them to succeed. So, um, and I'm pretty honest at uni. I don't, t- I don't sugarcoat teaching, um, I'm pr- um, but I love it. I'll never leave it. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. I won't tell you the nuts and bolts of my PhD. Okay, let's right, hear about the nuts and the bolts are the stories of the of the pre-service teachers. That's what I want to focus on. Okay, so we'll just fast right. forward. How so, many years would we fast forward from? You know. Um, okay, so I started my PhD two thousand eleven, so twenty odd years into the, wow. into teaching, I think. So okay, um, and then I, I took I took, I collected data from these pre-service teachers for two years. Right, yep. so, so I just sat and listened to their stories for okay. two years. So just. Just so, to, to make it clear, you've we've fast forwarded all these years and you've enrolled in a PhD program and the topic that you're going to investigate is how to engage mm-hmm. reluctant learners and then you've gone out and um, you're observing pre-service teachers or teachers doing practical practice teaching, that sort of thing? Not really, no. 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 <laughs> okay, I'll stop talking. Sort of. <laughs> Tell us all about I it. Sat, I sat... I invited them to a coffee shop and we sat around a coffee shop and we talked while we drank our brew on what they, what they learnt. So we, had, we sat around having chats basically. But the chats were, I aimed to not say a word. All I said was in what we call indicative topics. So I said, How, what is engagement to you? And then I just sat there and watched them talk. I wanted the whole time not to put my opinions, my ideas or anything on them. I just sat and listened. Um, and I pretty much did that for two years, um, and that's called narrative inquiry. So, okay. um, in a nutshell, so because I wanted to know what they wanted to say, not my opinion. I didn't want to put on my ideas of what they should and shouldn't do. I wanted to learn how they learnt to engage. What did you call um, that again? And I did learn. What was that? Thing? How how they learnt to engage. No, the the actual process. So, What's uh, not indicative oh, topic? What no, was the, it's, Yeah, no. Indicative active inquiry topics. was it? No. No, no. It's called indicative. Topics, but then right. what was the other one? The second one that you mentioned, something about the mm, it was the type narrative of, inquiry. Okay, I'm going to write, make a note. Sorry, and I'll, I'll Sorry. stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my methodology is called narrative inquiry, and all that means is you sit and listen to stories. 
My theorist was John Dewey. And what does John Dewey say? He tells us that experience is essential. If we have experience and we reflect upon it, we can be better people, all right? So we reflect in a situation. So when we're teaching, we reflect on a situation. So, for example, when we're driving home and we reflect of, <clears throat> which means for our future. So reflection, you can say, is in, on, of, all right? So the whole time, that's what I was doing. I was listening to the pre-service teachers reflect pretty much on and their future. And I ended up reporting on only six because I couldn't fit all 13 of them in my data because it's what they call rich data. Um, and so I want to introduce you to the stories today um, of my, my wonderful pre-service teachers who are now graduate teachers, who are now beyond early career teachers. I can't tell you their names because that's the, the rule of they thumb. They call that this, you de-identified the data. Yeah, that's right. But I gave them names because I'm so dumb. I can't remember too well. So I had to attach for my memory something that would help me visualise them. All right. So let it's me introduce pseudonym. you to, yeah. So uh, Tony, Roy, Melissa, Anna, Grace, Laura. So long story short, Anna and Grace are now school leaders, like I think big time leaders. Um, Roy works with gifted and talented in a very challenging school. Tony works in a Christian community school. Um, and then um, Laura has just had her um, second baby. Um, but all of them, their stories was what I wanted to hear, all right? And they all struggled big time. And that's what I want people to understand is we all struggle. I still struggle today and I would be lying to you if I told you, oh, teaching's easy, rubbish. So, so I wanted to talk to you about the nuts and bolts because that's in the end what's what's about. So I figured this morning when I was thinking about it, I'll tell you what each, each pre-service teacher taught me, the nuts and bolts. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and yeah, are you you ready for all that? Does, yeah, does that make sense. Sounds interesting. Sounds good. <laughs> Bring it on. Bring it on. All right. So Roy, he had a little bit older, twenty eight when he was studying, mature age student, had done a lot of work in Asia with helping people who were, you know, like in um, in charities. He met teachers who were always told him what to do, do it my way, my way, the only way, the highway. I call them autocratic teachers in my PhD. We all know them. Um, and he says this, I want to tell you, I want to tell you what they tell, told me rather than me um, paraphrasing. He said this, so we had a year two class. They came in after lunch, huge amounts of problems with the management with one boy in particular. And Roy said, I had the year two class, but I had to play the game. All right. So he described his supervising teacher as in her 50s, <clears throat> similar age to me. And he said this, obviously not my style of management of teaching but I was there for a purpose. I'm the practice student. Basically, I was playing the game. She's the one marking my report. So you've got to concur with her. You've got to agree to her. And what he said was, if he didn't do what she said with behaviour management, she was going to fail him on prac. Now, you tell me that doesn't exist today? It does exist today because I talk to students all the time. They tell me, I have to teach how my, my prac teacher tells me to teach. Now, I'm not sure that's, that's what we want um, in teaching for our new, new um, um, students. Long story short, he did play the game. Um, and then he said, obviously not myself teaching, um, but it was for the purpose of, my, of the student. So Sounds pragmatic. Was, he, Pre 
pragmatic, his very, approach. Very pragmatic. Very. And so then from there, he moved on to actually establish a relationship with that student. He did do what the teacher told him to do with behaviour management reluctantly, but now he does it his way. And that's why I say my PhD. Once he graduated, he took on it and he did it his way. And I love that, that he did it his way. So, so really interesting. Do you want to hear about the next one? Yeah, yeah. Is this what you wanted to hear? Because I, I find this more interesting. He's <laughs> seeking feedback and guidance. Well, <laughs> I'm looking on my little timer. We have an allocated yep. eight minutes, a bit, little bit over eight minutes right. left. So we probably so I would just, from I, all of them. But Roy's, no, I'll tell Roy's you about, story was interesting. But give us what, another I one think, maybe. Yeah. yeah, so Grace. Grace came from a family where um, um, her family were uh, from an um, Asian community where they believed in Kermond and mathematics teaching and she struggled with school big time. Um, and so she didn't want to do that type of teaching. So when Sorry, she this, unpacked, is, this she is quite to... terrible. I don't, I don't really know what Kermond's is. I don't know what that uh, means. Well, I didn't either until Grace told me about it. So, um, so basically Kermond is a, 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 it's a program that families – and this is always what she said, by the way, not me. I, no, no, I, yeah, you're reporting. Yeah, I'm just reporting what she said. So she said that when she went to high school, she was failing mathematics. Um, and so her mum and dad didn't like that idea. So they sent her to tutoring after school uh, okay. every Extra day yep. where she had to learn. Ex- yeah, she hated that. And she said it never helped her at all. Um, so she, anyway, so long story short, when she went on prac, she could see kids were having the same problems and she wanted to keep away from the idea of being a really strong, explicit teacher. So she turned in her lessons into Oreos. So she was doing fractions. So they, all the kids got opened up Oreos and they cut the fractions up with the icing and that resonated with the kids. But one of them wouldn't do what she wanted to do. And, uh, and so he threw things around the room. He threw the computer around the room at her. She was in sheer shock because she thought learning to engage would be I've made the lesson exciting. Was this one of the um, reluctant learners possibly? This, yes. Okay. Right. So yeah. what, did, what did she do then in that situation? Well, like me, which I still do today, she cried. <laughs> I still cry. Go, okay, it's not working. Like me, and I love this, she went out and worked out, well, what am I going to do? So she went away and she researched. She read her university notes. She went and talked to the school principal. She asked, could she speak to the school counsellor? She um, asked, could she speak to the student? The t- like she went out and she looked, what can I do? She worked out a plan. Now, how cool is that? So she worked out a plan and she went back with her plan and she learned to engage him. So, um, and the thing is I want to say with both Roy and Grace is that they both realised in their journey they cannot make a student be engaged. And that's one thing I want everyone to, I want to leave with you today. What does that mean? Our job is to teach. Yes. Right. Well, our job is to teach. Yeah. Our job is to help people get ready for learning. But in the end, engagement's the responsibility of the student. Oh, that's a very big it. idea. That's a, that's a big idea. We usually put them in the bloody third part of this episode. But it's a very big idea. What does that mean? Okay. What does that mean? Well, you think about it, it's common sense, really. Um, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You can take a student to learning, but you can't make it learn or then learn. And that's what they both, they both realise in their journey that it's a two-way street. It's a reciprocal way of engagement is not just me. Um, I think we've got that wrong in a lot of what we do with policy and ideas. We say it's all the teacher's responsibility. No, my responsibility is to teach you 
your responsibilities to learn. So to, to I say what, those sayings. What was in Grace's plan? Like in terms of, I understand that, you know, the students, the engagement is lying within the student, but then I am interested in what, what sort of, like are they techniques or strategies or mm-hmm. what? So let me read, read to you what she said. Yep. I learned that you can be so prepared and planned and prepare for your lesson for hours and think of everything in your lesson plan. But in the moment, you have to adapt to anything. You might not be able to finish your lesson. One child, it could be take a different angle. If one child gets really interested in something or, you know, so I really learned that and learning how to deal with children who become very disengaged, that was the big thing for me. So what she did was she actually worked out what he liked. He liked technology. He liked computers. He liked science. This is how amazing she was. She got in one of our top scientists in Australia and he came and visited the school. Can I tell you, a Pract student got the top scientist in astronomy to come to that little school in Western Sydney of 200-odd kids to give a talk for that one boy. That's impressive. He was engaged. (laughs) Engaged, all right. (laughs) So was the whole school. One little primary pre-service teacher. Mm. Everyone can make a difference. So, yeah. So... Yeah, so the, yeah, the, the, my, my long story short is they, each one of them did something clever, all right? They, they flipped stuff. They went, you know what, it's not working. What can I do that's engaging, that's clever? And each one of them did something really, 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 oh, sorry, really clever, which blows my mind. Um, and you can see why they've all gone to be highly, I think, successful teachers. One, they're doing what they want to do in teaching. And two, they've got a voice. Um, and they're activating their ideas. So that's pretty cool. Under a current climate where we are heavily regulated, they've found their feet, they've found their way. So would you like me to tell you any more? Well, maybe just so <laughs> we can wrap up this this sort of middle section, what about if you are there, were there key findings or, you know, in terms of a PhD, yeah. like yes. maybe, yep. maybe yep. across yep. all yep. of them? Yep. 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 What, do you have, are they recommendations or no? Are they findings or what do you call them? Uh, okay. All right. I have five recommendations. Okay. I'm, I'm going to talk to you about one next sure. in our next section oh, of the okay, podcast. Okay. I like this. It's good, solid. Give us the list and then we'll go into detail about one of them. In that. So what's yeah. the list? Okay. Basically, I recommend these things. One, there's four, three, four threads. I was only allowed to have four because I didn't have a room. One, talk back to research. All right. It's, if it's not working for you, why is it not working for you? Move on to looking what works for you, all right? Um, we all have things to do with the importance of um, where we actually, we need to disconnect from theory if it's not working for us and find what is working for us. We're allowed to as teachers, all right? And that might, be another, people say, that might be another piece of research that you don't know it or, you yes. know, it, it could be. Yes. It's just that that yes. particular bit of research and approach maybe yeah. doesn't resonate with you as an individual. Yeah, it's yeah. not wrong. Yeah. It's not wrong. It's just not for you. So, and when I tell teachers that, they go, oh, you mean I've got permission to talk back to research? And I go, well, yes, because it's your classroom. Um, relationships are key, all right? So, um, and things like skills are key. So, one, and the other big thing um, is I, I talk about this idea of that we need to be beyond theory, beyond um, research. We need to be teaching practically at university far more than what they do now. All right, so I'm a real strong advocate that we need to get down. That's like the nuts and bolts, the skills. 
All right. So, and until unis get their head around it, I don't think we're going to move forward in things like what we call quilt. And quilt is student surveys. And we know through student surveys, as a general rule, doesn't matter what they're teaching, 75% are saying they're not engaged at university. All right. Hence my next discussion, because I want to do a pre, I'm trying to do a research project and get that up and going called University is for Me. You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. <laughs> We're ready. All righty. So I want to talk to you about one area that I'm focusing on currently for my, for my PhD. Um, I'm running the project on my own, hence I would really like somewhere to get some sort of funding Hang away on, from the university. For your PhD, didn't you, you already got the, your PhD? But, or your, yeah, that's right. But for your next bit of yeah. research, your next research paper? or No, project. I want to do a project. I want to okay. go big, big guns. Okay. I want to go big. So, so, so I want to do a study across universities, not just one university. I'm talking to a few and they've already said that they're interested. And the project I want to do is called Universities for Me. All right. So what inspired one of one of the big studies that inspired my PhD was School is for Me. All right. So it was a project by Hesler and Munns who were in Sydney, Western Sydney, looking at primary school teachers. They got primary school teachers to do it. The primary school teachers changed their own teaching, their own pedagogy, all right, the art and science of teaching, to try and get these kids engaged. I want to do the same thing at university. So instead of saying school is for me, university is for me. And I have eight, in my head, pedagogies. I've been trialling myself as a tutor forever in my own tutorials online via Zoom during COVID, but also on campus. And I think these new ways of teaching will help engage students at university. Now, it's not about the content. It's not about the information. It's about how the lecturers and the tutors deliver the information. Yeah. I reckon it would be good just like without going into too much detail, but there's often in my humble experience of the the P word, the pedagogy word is always seems to be a bit of a problem. It's fine with practitioners because you just get on with your conversation, but people that don't know, you mentioned about learning and teaching approaches or whatever, what what are these? We know that they're not content, but just in a nutshell, what, what are pedagogies? Okay, people panic and they think it's a really big thing. Universities up until now have panicked thinking, I want to spend a huge amount of money, all these things. No, no, it's really simple. It is just the art and science of teaching in your lectures, the art and science of teaching in your tutorials. So, Lectures, for example, are the best, one of the best examples and essays, for example, to me and my two big ones, actually there's more, but anyway, lectures are a waste of time. They're siloed orienting. Sorry, I'm going to be honest. It's got nothing to do with anyone personally. It's a 20th, 20th century archaic idea. If you ask the students, I'll tell you the same thing. So I will ask you this. So if students could pass a university course and not been to one lecture, not listen to one lecture, and they still can get a HD, what is the value of the lecture? What is the cost of the lecture? Lectures are expensive to run. I don't have to answer those questions, doing... do I? They're just rhetorical, no, no, rhetorical questions. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. I know the big, answer. <laughs> big questions. So what's lectures? Well, I guess that's one, that's one pedagogical approach, but then yes. you're going to tell yes. us a few more. 
that were yes i've got eight i'm not okay. going to reveal all of them because no, there's no, no. no point my pro- my project oh yeah well, i've no, got to get funding to... somehow for it <laughs> so essays i think now remember i talk only in primary school all right so if people are listening i am not talking about secondary that's not my field that's not my area i can see value in essays in secondary so please if you're a lecturer at university in secondary for example please don't think i'm saying all essays need to go that's not what i'm saying in the primary when we look at our things like general capabilities um, and what we want to teach in primary school, we want to teach inquiry. We want to teach um, community-oriented stuff. We want to teach communication. We want to teach creativity. We want to teach all those things. An essay does not lend itself to creativity. I call it boring, busy work for primary pre-service teachers. So so brutal. (laughs) I know. I know, Mark. I'm sorry. I'm heartless. actually comes from a... um, a heart that actually just actually really cares and loves. I actually really care. I care for the lecturers because they are working so damn hard and I don't think anyone can get their head around how hard it is to be a university lecturer. The research that's expected of them, they're, they're meant to be world leaders in so much. People need to cut them some flat because they are doing such a good job when you look at what is put under their, on their job description. All right? I'm saying... We can help them by making life easier for them. Stop the lectures. Stop the essays where there's so much marking. To mark an essay, mark. Oh, yeah, you no, end up getting I've... caught up in, in the grammar. In the grammar. <laughs> well, who, like, yes, it's important to write. Okay. I need to be careful because everyone goes, but you say we don't need to write. Well, of course we need to write. We've got to write letters to parents. We've got to write reports. Yes. But I'm not marking, no, marking an essay. They're yes, different texts, so they're more kind of in the world, real world text types. Than, yeah. Can you remember es- I said to you about skills, learning skills? Yes. So we've so, got yeah. lectures and essays. What else? What else is you know oh, in your okay. thought? Oh, well, don't I tell want, us too much, but, but you know, I want to change the world with COVID and embrace the chance because I've taught online since two thousand and seven. I know what engages people online because I've been doing it for so long. Yes, it's not proven. I need to do a research study on it. I get that. But in my own little world, I've to, I, I teach across seven subjects on, as a general rule at two universities now since 2007. I get the same feedback from the, the students from either online or on campus. They tell me, you engage us, Sandy. We learn from you because of my pedagogy. All right. So I've worked out how to differentiate, for example, on Zoom. I've worked out how to engage on Zoom. Um, remember the learning's their responsibility, but my responsibility is to engage them, to give them the information, so or to guide them for the information, know where to go. I call it like post-it notes. I say to people in tutorials, these are like post-it notes. These are flagging you, go down this for this area, look at this for this area, because university, it's nine to say to 10 hours per um, subject a week. One hour is a tutorial. One hour is a lecture. The rest is up to them. So what I'm doing in a, in a tutorial is I'm doing inquiry. So we do inquiry lessons. I don't, I don't sit there talking. They all go, but you're not talking like everyone else. You're making us work. Yeah, I know. And they go, and you know what? We love it, Sandy. All right, so we do mini practice of lessons. Um, but only because I have taught for so long, what I do in one minute has taken me 20 years to know. So it's taken me forever to understand this stuff. Hey, so I, I can't explain it. Cause I, 
I, I just wanted to pick up on that the word differentiation. Now, I know what you're talking about, but some listeners may not know that that's kind of like a thing. What is it's, it's like a, a lot more complicated and a lot more simple than it kind of, you know, but what is it? Well, what is that? Okay. And why is it important? So people, all right, the very basic one, which I don't teach anymore, is we teach three types of differentiation. So it's catering for the individual needs of a student would be in a nutshell. The classic model that everyone uses but me at university is towards um, an outcome, those who are working beyond the outcome and those working towards the outcome. That's not differentiation, actually. Most beginner teachers call that differentiation, not really. I'm a bit confused at this point. So yeah, hey, I know you are. I, I, what, so, what, but you've what, got to give me a shot about a time. Differentiation. It's more about the. It's more about things like the scaffolding, the enabling. All right, the idea. So I believe in what we call the universal design of learning. All right, because I have an inclusion-oriented lens. What that means is you start from people's strengths, and to differentiate from them, you start from their strengths, and then you push them to go beyond their limits, to keep going. All right, so you're not talking about, right, well, you fit in the middle of the class here. So in my tutorial, you're in the middle, so we'll follow. You'll all be here in the middle. No, no, no. My differentiation is, all right, for example, Jared, you're doing this and technology, you're really good at this. I want you to go to the next level. And then Samantha, okay, you're not, not very good at technology. All right, Samantha, that's okay. You're at this point. Let's get you to this next point, all right? And what I do is um, there's up to 12 different ways I differentiate, all right? So I don't differentiate to the middle. I actually differentiate to the individual. Now, it's a completely different paradigm, completely different way of understanding it, but it's user-friendly in tutorials and it lends itself to inquiry. It lends itself to things like thinking, all right, so cultures of thinking which come from Harvard, and the Zero Project. So it actually lends itself to 21st century thinking and it's not that hard to do. And guess what I do in tutorials? I sit and enjoy my brew. <laughs> I sit and watch them all working. Because the students are so busy. Mm -hmm. I like the sound of mm -hmm. that. That sounds very student-centred mm -hmm. in its approach. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't want to criticise lectures. I'm not criticising lectures. I want that known now. It's a part of it. it. They're always going to be of some them. value. But, yeah, it's kind of yeah. there's a lot of other techniques out there that are it's, arguably more effective. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I might, um, people will say no to me, but mine's cost effective as well. And that's where universities might be interested, all right, because it's cost effective ways of teaching. Um, and I've been talking to a few other lecturers because I watch on Twitter and I've noticed other people are doing it as well. So we've been quietly messaging, saying, comparing notes, are you doing this too? Have you realised how much money this is saving? And they go, yeah. And I go, yeah, but I'm just a tutor. I'm nothing special. I'm no professor. I never will be a professor. I have no interest in being a professor. Hence, I think something like my project would make sense to not be part of a university um, somewhere, I don't know how, maybe you can help me, Mark. I'm trying to work out how I can find funding because I do need to eat. I do yeah. need to actually meet my own expenses. Yeah, well, people have got to pay the bills. I can't just do stuff on my own, pretty much. And, I, and so if I, I can't continue this on my own, so I don't know, I really don't know. I'm sort of trying to um, contact people to try and work out well, where can I go with this project? Um, yeah. You know, where can I get this up, up off the ground? 
Yeah, well, I guess the last so, year or so, because of COVID, it's all been, uh, you know, there's special rules applying. But yeah. generally, yeah, generally a lot of things are frozen. But, I mean, I'm certainly an active recipient of a lot of university funds <laughs> over the years, but um, not so much now. But I guess it's kind of the funding does come from different sources and there's ebbs and flows, consortiums, all this kind of stuff. Well, I've, I'm actually putting one in action now already. All right, so I, I, me being where I can't keep waiting for unis to say yes. So I've started with um, a group of university students across universities, not one university, and we're starting a podcast. And that's why I want to leave you with you today. So we're doing what we're trying, and this is another recommendation or part of the recommendation for uni is for me from my PhD. It's called Digital Threads. Yep. So we've started a podcast, all right, and it's called the, um, the New Brew Podcast. Um, we've got um, Jason, we've got Hema, we've got Jared and Natasha um, and um, Kyle um, and Ro and me, all right? I'm the curator, but they're running it. It's by them, for them, and our series one is called The Fear to Teach or Fear to Teach. And I'm just going to tell you about how we're starting because we're starting on the 19th of July, 9 p.m. it hits. Um, we're doing 8 p.m. We're doing a, a Twitter chat about it. And then 9 p.m., thanks to the Game Changers and Adriano De Prato and Phil Cummins, they've been guiding us because it's, we're, this is all new territory for us. And I cannot thank them enough because they've just been so supportive. So, so basically, episode one will be all of them sharing their ideas because they've all chosen different areas. So one's doing, one group are doing Indigenous, one's doing gender, ethnicity, creativity, technology. So all the things that primary pre-service teachers fit. Right? Remember, I'm only about primary. Our first episode is us talking why the podcast started, our journeys. Episode two, which hits the same night, I cannot wait. It's called The Fear, The Fear of the Journey. All right. So it'll be Jason, myself, and we're going to have a, a guest speaker. Um, and that's someone in their fourth year. And we're going to talk about the journey because Jason's in his very first semester. He's petrified. Um, and um, we've, got, we've got a fourth year, two fourth years coming in who are almost done. So they're going to share their journey. But I want to talk to you about this whole idea. We're setting up a website where we're a community and people can come to us and buy things. So parents can come to buy from us lesson ideas, you know, at home. Prac students come, come to buy, get lesson plan ideas. We are focusing purely on Prac, not the university lectures. We've got that Prac and so on. Jason, um, he actually is a trans and he likes to, he's a, um, he does trans shows on Saturday nights. So I'm going to, He's online this Saturday night. He is going to, under his page, he's going to talk about gender and, and sexuality. And part of it is he's going to actually, because it's June when he's um, doing his shows, June is going to read picture books. He, we've organised two picture books from a lovely person who um, is called Super, Super Woman, um, Super Mama. It's on my Instagram page. Sorry, I've only just met the person. So they've written two books about gender um, and trans and not fitting in and superpowers they've got. So under Jason's page, you'll have lessons on gender, sexuality, and so on. And if you go deeper, you'll actually see him and me giving you advice on how to teach it. Um, and then he's going to actually film himself reading the books from this author. And, and so we're offering that service. And I've said to them, they need to make money to survive as um, pre-service teachers. I need to make some money to survive. So we'll be charging a small fee, very similar to things like Twinkle, um, pay teachers, but it's us as pre-service teachers doing it, run by pre-service teachers, for pre-service teachers, and I get the role to actually be the brewmaster. I sit back, enjoy my brew, 
they come and check with me what they think they want to do. They want to check, is that idea right? Will that work? Will that not work? What do you think? And so I get to be the, what they call the curator. And our hashtag is called dive in mentality. All right, so dive in mentality. What we're saying is give it a go because that's one of my hardest things that you need is to get the pre-service teachers to have a go. We win if we empower each other. All right, so everyone, if we have a mindset that we are helping each other to empower each other and we all follow through with that, we all win. Student agency is essential. Teacher agency is essential. Having a choice to act as you choose to act in life wins all of us over. So what I'm encouraging everyone to think about is that idea that we empower and we rise by empowering others. All right, so I don't need to be a leader. I need to be an encourager. And I'm an encourager by nature. That's how I work. And I encourage you to succeed in whatever you want to go, whatever you want to do, whatever area you want to move into. All right. Um, and I'll do my darndest to help you develop your skills in that area. All right. And be successful um, and enjoy the journey. Enjoy the ride. All right. The destination is one thing, but the best part of anything is the journey. In this episode, I chatted with Sandy Nicol, teacher, educator, and researcher. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes, including links to Sandy's website, publications, social media, and the New Brew podcast. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville.